So then I'm thinking, do I want a pizza or do I want a French fry? Wait, wait, because wait, guys, I... I'm, I'm here, I'm here. I'm late, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, cutting it very close there. I was just about to ask who we're investigating this week and everything. Oh, sorry, Chief. Sorry, Alex. Well, don't you think you also owe Alex an apology? Oh, you did. Never mind. Uh, it's all good, Luke. It's all good. We, we were just talking about skiing. Oh? Yeah, we're against it. Oh. Well, we're all here now, so who have we got this week? Scott Edgar, member of Tripod. Sounds great. Let's get him on the line. No worries. The following stories are true. None of the names have been changed. These are the files of the Wallet Inspectors. Right, hello, Mr. Edgar. Thanks for taking our call. How are you today? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. Uh, how, how are you guys? We're well, thank you very much for asking. Now, this is just a yeah. routine wallet inspection, but do be aware you are being recorded. So let's just confirm that yeah. we've got the right person here. Are we talking to Scott or Scod? Um, it's either is fine, actually. I go by um, both names. Scott's a nickname that I was given when I was younger in the 90s. It was, it was my friend called me Scott because of missiles. I don't know if you remember those. They were all in the news there for a couple of weeks. We all thought we were going to be drafted. Oh. Didn't happen. Uh, we came from the generation of Mark Philippoussis, like his scud, you know, like the... Oh, the yeah, well, 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 if you'd stop for one moment to wonder where that came from, <laughs> if you'd, uh, yeah, that's the, the same etymological source as Mark Philippoussis, people have say about me. Well, shit, I did not think I would learn anything about Mark Philippoussis today. <laughs> So, there you go. Straight up. It's fun. It is. You're it's fun going into the history of birds. Well, look, it works for me. Let's get into this investigation. Uh, first of all, yeah. Mr. Edgar, I'm going to pass you over to Deputy Inspector Luke Gold, our sketch artist, who's going to grab a description of your wallet. Oh, hi, uh, hi Luke. So my wallet was um, pretty hip some years ago when I bought it, it's kind of a grey thing, uh, like a like a beige colour with like geometric printage as a canvas number. Okay. Never, never really went in with it, your leather wallet. Um, okay. You know, kind of geometric printed shapes all over it. But now it looks like it's been rubbing against the arse of a middle-aged nerd for five years. It's got all these black worn away bits and it's gross. And, it's and it gross. says here, finest quality Herschel Supply Company. That's a bit hipster, I suppose. Yeah, in well, New York. Oh, hello. So that's that's the the that was where you purchased it. Was it in New York or? I didn't know. I put, I purchased it on Brunswick Street, but you know, if, if you can't get to uh, get to get to New York, that's the best next next best place. You yeah, know, um, I promised myself when I bought it I wouldn't overload it. You know that I'd stop doing that thing where you you fill mm. it up as as though receipts are legal tender. It hasn't <laughs> hasn't happened. Are receipts not legal tender? Thank you. No, it turns out they're not. Only in the most roundabout way. I don't know if you guys um, consider, you know, like whether you put, you know, tick the box marked entertainer on your uh, tax return, but that actually uh, opens you up to a whole lot of things being deductible. Like you can pretty much say everything's entertainment if you want, which is <laughs> awful. What is the most ridiculous <laughs> thing you have counted as deductible, if you don't mind saying, on the air? Um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's over, over seven years ago. Um, <laughs> everything I write down is, like, I did have to make a case when I started working in, you know, sort of tangentially in the video game industry. 
which I've done, you know, reg- you know, like I tip back into that industry kind of regularly, hmm. not often, but regularly. You've done music and, for and Assassin's Creed. We did, yeah, we did music for Assassin's Creed. That's a recent example. Um, that was a, that was a huge rush. I loved working on that. You know, we write these songs like if you go into the bar in Victorian London in the Assassin's Creed Syndicate, yeah. you will hear the piano player playing a bunch of fair income, um, in, you know, old English sort of folk tunes and mixed in with that our original songs which kind of tell the story of, of your character in the game so yeah that was great we just got to like just get into the headspace of somewhere between dickens and sweeney todd for, for a year or so it was, it was a thrill i loved it i'm still not quite out of dickens land i just i'm just nuts about dickens at the moment so you've successfully avoided the tax question well done <laughs> um but talking uh, oh, about yeah. a... <laughs> oh, yeah. no like well, where i was going with that is when i first started deducting video games I got some. I got some. Eye, you know, I got some raised eyebrows from my accountant, but that's all right. He's in jail now. <laughs> That'll teach him. All right. Well, <laughs> we we have successfully gotten away from the wallet itself. So to bring it back, uh, uh, I'm writing a song at the moment. I'm I'm teaching a workshop tonight on writing funny songs, which just petrifies me no end. Um, and I have to, I'm writing a little song to kick it off, which uh, will hopefully be funny, or, or or the whole thing will be kind of disappointing experience for people. Yeah, that's a pretty tall order, having to write a funny song for a how-to-be-funny class. I honestly think the whole... The, I've managed to have a career where a huge chunk of it is utterly counterintuitive. The idea of, like, sitting down to writing a, write a song and setting out all these kind of witch's hats for what it's got to be like at the other end. Mm. I heard a kind of metaphor for that recently by the guy, a, a screenwriter who, who likens that kind of thing to pushing on a rope you know, rather than pulling it. Like, it's just not made to be pushed. It's made to be pulled. But, you know, there you go. That's, that's my life. I just have to kind of, you know... Well, I mean, hey, it could be worse. Could be could be down a cold. But uh, delving into yeah. the wallet itself, what would you recognise as the oldest item in your wallet? I have an active equity card here that I think I've never used once, actually. Since 11th of October 2002, I, 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 that's possibly the oldest thing. I'm not an actor. I mean, I've acted maybe a couple of times in my life. I've got a bunch of, obviously, there's the aforementioned receipts. You know that special kind of receipt that, that they have that extra feature where, where all the writing fades off it if you leave it in your wallet for long enough? Yeah, spare paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah those, are, those are great. Those are really handy. What else have I got here? I have a, I have a card for a web series. Website, I love view.com. We went to a, um, we went to a, I did a web series last year called The Drop Off, which was one of my few outings as an actor. And we went to, um, this little seminar about making sort of online content. I reckon everyone, I reckon we were the oldest there, myself and Fiona, the producer by like 20 years. I reckon it was pretty depressing experience, to be honest. <laughs> that I love you.com. Go and visit it now. Have a look. Is that, uh, content galore. Is that view as in V-I-E-W? I-L-U-V-V-I-E-W. Yeah, I was nice. correct. I Check heard it. it. Out. We'll be able to add a link Check to the episode. Checks out. We will link. There you go. Yeah, you link that. And, and that'll be, um, yeah, and just imagine little Scotty Bones sitting in the back of a, like, cafe that's made out of a tram. <laughs> so it's the, the full hipster experience. Try, oh. Trying to 
trying to seem like I fit in and have anything to say about modern media, you know. <laughs> I tell you what, it was different in my day. Oh, I tell you what. I'm good show, though. I'm the drop off. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> what else have I got here? Uh, I don't know about old. What about do, what about like, um what about with you with your career? What about some souvenirs? Have you kept any souvenirs? Here's something that's kind of a souvenir. This is mm. it reminds me of, of the olden days. Anyway, this is the card for a friend of mine who's a production manager at the Wheeler Centre here in Melbourne, which is a writing kind of centre. And um, he used to be John Boy's name. I'm sure you wouldn't mind telling me telling you. John Boy and I went to uni together at VCA in the mid '90s. We studied production theatre, set design and sound design and lighting and so forth. And it's just so nice when people go on to, like, do cool stuff. Like, John Boy's now, like, you know, he's got this great gig and we see each other every now and again in our current lives. Um, but, yeah, John Boy used to do sound for Tripod back when we were doing pubs and stuff. Back in the late 90s, we were playing crappy, like, local local pubs, of which there were a lot more back then, you know. We would just sort of be in a corner and... You know, sing our Beach Boys covers and Elvis Costello covers and just sort of hope that it was the right kind of audience that would find us sort of at most, like just under wanting to bash us. Like that was the line. We just wanted them to not want to bash us, you know, that's all. That's all that we weren't ambitious. Yeah, we weren't ambitious in that way. It's just like as long as we can avoid actual physical violence, then, you know, the nicer wins. <laughs> There's always a way you can twist the verbal, but when you get punched in the face, there's no real way you can try and twist that to a positive, yeah. can you? Yeah, I've not seen anyone pull that off. Yeah. I've not it is difficult. seen anyone come out on top there. Yeah. yeah, I did get hit by a flying pint glass once in oh. Edinburgh at a late and live show. Late and live in the back when we started was a very dangerous. Well, I had the reputation of being a very dangerous kind of night in terms of like audience and you know it's like starts at 1am and everyone's well pissed and there's this kind of gladiatorial attitude to um, you know to the gig and, and it's kind of adversarial if you like and and we were we were really drunk as well when we came out on stage I think it was our last gig there and we were due to go back to Melbourne the, night, the following night and um, we were doing we decided we'd do an acapella version of Bohemian Rhapsody which we you know which we often did but because we were a bit pissed, we kind of started looping. We got confused in the middle of it and sort of started looping it like a broken record, like, you know, like just the same bit. Anyway, you know, in the, I like to tell myself in the spirit of sort of knocking the side of the jukebox to, to get the record going again, someone decided to chuck a pint glass from the back of the room. So, yeah, that was, it was, it was brutal. We were like on this, on this mining cart that we'd lost control of and we were just at its mercy. So, when this person sort of um, chucked a pint glass, I like to, I like to think it was in a helpful spirit. It certainly helped us. It certainly sort of shook us out of our, our funk, got, got us going again to the next bit. He's just trying to let you know that maybe, maybe the amount of beers you've drunk before wasn't the best idea when you're going to perform. It was just a friendly reminder. Don't, don't get cocky. That's the <laughs> yeah. message. Don't get cocky. That's right. That's right. So what what would you say yeah. is the most interesting place your wallet has been? It doesn't have to be geographical. It can be... I have here what's written on the top of this other thing in my wallet. It's called the Sketch Night Scorecard. And this is like a coffee card where you get stamps on it. Okay. And it's when, it's every time you go to the, the New York Society of Illustrators Life Drawing Night on the Upper East Side in uh, on Manhattan. And, and it's 
such a beautiful building. It's like a three-storey building that is devoted to illustration, to the, to the industry and the art of illustration. An amazing original artwork from, obviously, Manhattan being the, one of the one of the homes of, for example, magazine and book illustration, certainly through the sort of golden age of that stuff. So some of the original art on the walls is just nuts. I don't know if, I don't know if the name Norman Rockwell means anything to you, but there's a huge original Norman Rockwell behind the bar up there, you know. And, and so you go up there and you're um, on Thursday night, you're, you, you know, you bring your drawing stuff along and they have life drawing classes. And I was there a couple of months ago with my family and I thought this is a, it was a really great way to meet people, you know, just meet local people, but not in the context of any kind of touristy thing. Just go along and just talk about drawing with other mm. drawing nerds from New York, you know, and it was, because that's, I'm also a illustrator and a, and a um, huge nerd about drawing. Yeah. And um, so I would say this is kind of a bit of a beloved little, little memento of something somewhere really interesting I've been. You know, that was a that, that was a really golden um, few weeks and I would just hang around this place and you know, and draw and do their life drawing classes, and go to all their exhibitions, and go to their openings, and it was a really cool little sort of uh, ingredient to our, our last trip there. And then the other cool ingredient was seeing Billy Joel live at Madison Square Garden. That was pretty insane. Billy Joel's the man. Well, yeah, he is the man. Absolutely. It's his local, right? He's a resident. It's, it's a residency. Yard, he does yeah. it every night. It's so cool, and it was obviously completely packed and just. Uh, amazing vibe so that was my little yeah that was my little trip to, to nyc that was really really cool i think it's a con in my life it's a constant tension i mean the thing i the thing i struggle with is being a jack of all trades master of none kind of vibe you know that's that that's the that's the sort of boogeyman that haunts me about whether you know because i have this even kind of this sort of cyclical love for you know music and then for the following year i'll just be nuts about illustration and it goes kind of round and round um you know, it worries me that I've spread my time a little bit, but it's it's also just such a great... So there's a constant tension, but it, it, it's also just such a joy to be able to kind of work with people in those different industries. And mm-hmm. I just guess by, by nature, I have a short attention span, so it helps me to be able to sort of hop across to this other thing for a while and do that, you know. And I think when I was... I just talked about John, meeting John Boy at VCA back in the 90s. I was there studying theatre production, and that was absolutely an attempt to kind of merge the two because what I really wanted to do at the at that moment was be a theatre designer, which certainly combined my love of the performing arts with, you know, with the visual arts, you know, and, and, and it was an amazing grounding. It, it was a course that enabled me to go on and do all the things that I've subsequently done, you know, even if it wasn't specifically in those fields. Well, you've certainly done th- plenty of theatrical work, whether it be shows or playing with orchestras and any sort yeah. of music. Yeah, oh, I've been so lucky. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think of myself as a naturally gifted musician, just a just a keen one and a passionate one. And so to be able to be on stage with people like the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra playing songs that I sat down and wrote with my with my boys, like unbelievable, like such a such a thrill. I was thinking about. That last show we did with the MSO a couple of years ago was called This Gaming Life, and we were um, backstage getting ready. And Yoni walked, he's one of the guys in my band, he walked towards me with his tail coat on and looking really schmicko. And I, and I totally had a flashback to one of these crappy pub gigs in the, in the, um, in Yarraville that we used to do and just how far we sort of come. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, and we're doing another show with MSO in, in, um, in, in June as well, like an education show for schools about, Talking about the sort of thorny topic of how humour works in music, so it would be an interesting little undertaking. Um, did yeah. you have any sort of influences, or do you listen to much 
of the other, you know, there aren't many. I can think of sort of Weird Al Yankovic yeah. or, or Tenacious D, Tenacious D or something like that off the top of my Spike head. Milligan. Yeah. Do you listen to many of them or, yeah. or is... It's a good question. I, I try and stay away from comedy music per se or the, the sort of comedy. You know, I rarely in the state of the Melbourne Comedy Festival go to a comedy music, you know, musical comedian mm. gig. It's just too close to home. I've just, I've done it, you know, like I've spent too much time just in that exact field and it's just too hard for me to not stand there and just be too analytical and kind of not enjoy myself. But at the same time, there's so much, it's such a broader category really than just the, you know, the, the three people standing on stage delivering sort of punchline you know, comedy songs. It, it, you know, people, you know, people like Tim Minchin, for example, have just, and Eddie Perfect, who, who started in that field, but who have kind of blown it and blown the walls out and, and, you know, gone outwards into, into, you know, music, music theatre and so forth. And I would say that my growing up, my passion or my sort of interest and love certainly felt like it came not from watching comedians per se but watching those musical comedy legends like you know people like i remember when jerry lewis and dean martin used to be on you know telly every sunday with one of their with it was from jerry lewis dean martin movie every sunday i used to religiously sit down and watch that stuff people like danny Kaye, you know like an old tradition it goes back forever and also you know um the likes of stephen sondheim and 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 more sort of contemporary music theater um writers i would say that's where my love for the form came from you know rather than necessarily other comedians per se i kind of fell into comedy really we were doing music we never kind of set out to say let's start a music comedy act it was always like let's do gigs and then in the manner of pulling on a rope rather than pushing on it we, we let it become we let it become what it wanted to be you know and um and what it wanted to be in the end was was this weird sort of mix of, of fun and humour along with the music, you know. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You've spent your last 20-odd years working with two other people. We're a three-person workplace. Have you got any advice for working in groups of three? Always gang up. Always <laughs> gang up. We do that all the time. Uh, no, yeah. we can don't. You, can, <laughs> you stop? can you stop? Don't tell them that. It's, it's bad enough, Scott. It's bad enough. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm often jealous of bands. You know, you hear stories about bands that like have punch-ups before gigs, or like just you know screaming matches with each other and uh. stuff. And I, I wonder what that would be like because being sort of the waspy white boys that we are, we just we, we sort of more usually go for sort of sulkiness and passive aggressiveness <laughs> and so forth. And it's it's not necessarily the best strategy, I think. Oh, well, having said that, I mean we're still together, but one. One wonders if a more tempestuous, fiery relationship might be might be a healthier sort of workplace. I don't know what you guys want. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, we don't recognise that at all. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's nice to know it's just us. It's not just us. But I do, I do want to talk. Yeah, to oh no, you go, you go. Finish yeah. It. No, I'm just I'm trying to get better at being an absolute prick, you know, and just bloody Smart. going people. But, you know, maybe it's because I don't have enough like European in my heritage. <laughs> Just get some mad about you. That's it. That's it. You got to just, just, just <laughs> gesticulate. Gesticulate. That's the word I wanted. Um, no, keeping on the boys though. One thing, you know, they are some of the tightest harmonies from a, you know, again, there aren't too many a cappella groups or you know one instrument vocal groups going around, but the yeah, harmonies yeah. are tight. How long have you been singing together? Well, that totally comes from that sort of music theatre love that we all shared, and that's really how we met. And we we've been singing together since about ninety five. 
And before that, me and Yoni were singing with another bloke in, it was still called Tripod, but it was all, it was still very much about the harmonies. And we, that sort of lineup started in about 92 or something. Wow. So it's a long time. And, and before that, you know, quite apart from our individual sort of forays into the works of Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, Yoni was in the National Boys Choir as a child. So he had sort of harmonies and harmonies arranging, you know, in his blood from the get-go. And I would say he's definitely the engine room of, you know, all the most interesting stuff that's happened that we've done in terms of harmony. I was just going to say that usually he has either the bass part or the sort of the middle part, which I always think would probably be the most difficult. And he he does an incredible... He's like, yeah, like you said, the engine or like the unsung hero of of Tripod. Yeah, he's he's insane. I mean, as a, as a as an arranger, he's just unparalleled. I mean, I'm constantly surprised by working with Yoni and, and what he comes up with. And yeah, you're right. That middle harmony, that's hard. It's easy to just layer on a kind of fifth over the top of things and off you go. But finding the the, the third one, the one that no one else wants. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and, yeah, that's exactly yeah, right. That sucks. Impressive. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a joy. I mean, you know, those guys are both technically better singers than I am, but hopefully I bring something to the table with my quasi Neil Diamond rasp. I was, I was just going to say, it always got, I always got the impression. Again, I'm speaking from my 12 year old self who was always watching you guys, but it always felt like you were kind of, in a weird way, the 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 leader, the kind of, and you would do what I always felt was the majority of the writing. That may or may not be true, but that was the sense that I always got, man. I'm quite happy to perpetuate that myth. That's entirely fine with me. Excellent. Anybody <laughs> well, else? We, we, couldn't, we couldn't leave this conversation. We're like, yeah, and uh, so, you know, everyone else in your group is awesome and you're lucky to be there. See you, mate. <laughs> what are they? Yeah, doing? no, uh, they're, they're pretenders, mate. Hangers on. Hangers there you on. Go. Yeah. There's always hangers. hangers on. These two, the whole time. I'm glad to finally get that off my chest. Oh, it was such a relief. We finally cracked you. That's what that's what we do. The wallet inspectors will do. We start off with the wallet before you know it, telling us about your upbringing. Revealing yeah, secrets. well, what do they say about, you know, the, the, the quickest way to a man's heart through his wallet? Is that, is that hey, there you go. That's our motto. Well, yeah. Yeah. well, it will be now, and we're not paying you for it. Glad, glad to be of service, Jen. There we go. I think we've got enough for our inspection there. I filled out all my paperwork. Mm-hmm. So I think we're confident That's enough to let you go. Oh, fantastic. I'm off the hook. Just this time. For now. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, um, good luck finding the culprit of whichever weird crime it is that you're trying to track down. That is a great question. We're on the lookout for any and all crime. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what we're doing here. Right. <laughs> all right. Thanks very much for your time today. Good. Uh, have, a, have a good day. You, you too, too mate. Bye-bye. Amazing work, lads. So, as I was saying, this was maybe my third time skiing ever. So I was looking. Uh, at- sorry, Chief. Um, I've actually got to get going. Really? Yeah. Is this all right? I mean, we're all wrapped up here, right? I mean, we are. But you turned up late, and now you want to leave early. So you think I should be late for my next thing too? No, no. Go ahead. Uh, we'll see you next time. Wait. Well, do you mind if I leave too? Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Why not? Let's have an early day, and we'll pick it up tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode of The Wallet Inspectors, consider following us on Facebook or giving us an iTunes review. This episode was written and edited by Michael Wilkins, who, along with Alex Jones and Luke Gold, created and starred in it with special guest Scott Edgar. This has been The Wallet Inspectors. You fought the law, and the law won.